Welcome back to Sashimi. In this episode, I spoke with Marion Lewis, a founder and CEO of Govanda that offers a board portal software for executives and boards of directors. In this interview, Marion shared her experience of being a serial entrepreneur, challenges of raising funds, as well as founding and growing Govanda. We discussed the company's product, customer base, go-to-market strategy, and everything in between. But first, let me tell you about the sponsor of this season of Sashimi, Saligo. Saligo is a leading enterprise-wide integration platform as a service for mid-market companies. Named the G2 Best Software for 2021, Saligo enables breakaway growth, controlled cost management, and superior customer experiences by ensuring that every process at any level of the organization can be automated in the most optimal way. For more information, visit saligo.com or just click the link in the description. And now, back to my interview with Marion Lewis. Marion, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, you're a serial entrepreneur. You've started several companies, and we're obviously going to be talking about your latest company, Gavenda. But before we start, tell us a little bit about yourself and your prior startups. Right. Well, as you said, I'm a serial entrepreneur, a glutton for punishment. <laughs> the first company I had was a company called Tachyon Solutions. It was a digital marketing company. So we did a lot of, and this was back in the 90s when things were just getting started you know, doing banner advertising and developing tracking programs for advertising. And we morphed into doing an awful lot of e-commerce development. So we were one of the original e-commerce partners for IBM and then later on Demandware. And I ran that company for a long time, almost 20 years before we sold it. And I had a business partner in all four companies. Uh, her name's Jeanette Thomas, and she's the CTO at Govenda. When we sold Tachyon Solutions, we spun out the e-commerce portion of that, and that company became We Do Commerce, and we did large-scale e-commerce implementations for multinational companies like Conair. We worked for, I'm trying to think, Columbia Sportswear, Sally Beauty Supply, really, really large e-commerce implementations. And in fact, one of our first ones was a company called Campmore. If you're a camping enthusiast, you listen to this. Everybody knows who Campmore was. They had a newspaper bulletin that went out seven times a year, and we took them online with e-commerce, and it was wildly successful for them. So anyway, so we did that, and we had also had a mobile app development company, which I ran. Jeanette ran the e-commerce company, and then we started, or I started, at the time it was called Board Book. It rebranded last year to Govenda. And one of our customers at uh, another one of our companies, and actually had been with us through all three companies, it's a publicly traded company, and they came and said, can you build me a mobile app so that my board can access their board materials? And I said, sure. And so we scoped it out, and it was going to be expensive, and they were hesitant to spend that much money. And I said, well, you know, let me check what's out there. Somebody's got to be doing this. And so I did some research and found out that there were a couple people doing it, but they weren't, in my opinion, doing it the way it should be done. Nobody had a mobile app at that point, and it was extremely expensive because there weren't very many people doing it. And after a lot of research, we decided that there was a hole in the marketplace and that we were going to try and fill that. And that's how Boardbook got started. And when was it? That was in 2013. Oh, so mobile was still uh, gaining traction, but it wasn't as widespread as it is now. Correct. Right. So I'd say within a year or two that everybody had mobile apps, uh, all the board portal players. But at the time, nobody had one. 
2013 sounds so recent, yet so much has changed since then, especially. Oh my gosh, everything has changed. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about Govenda then. Like, what is it today and what type of service it provides? Right. So we're, we call ourselves now a board success platform. And as you said, a lot has changed over the last eight to nine years. It's no longer just shareholders who are the constituents for a board of directors. Now it's really all about stakeholder governance and boards have to worry about a lot more than they used to. You know, they certainly have to worry about shareholders and their fiduciary responsibility to the corporation, but they also have to worry about the corporation's responsibility to the environment, to their customers, to their employees. And so they're dealing with a lot more issues in the boardroom than they ever have before. And so one of the things that we do at Govenda is that we're trying to constantly improve our platform to enable boards to do that in a really efficient way, in a way that will make them more successful. And if you provide a little detail, like case study, what's, what exactly is it? Is it just a share drive type of solution? No, it actually has evolved. I think that's how these board portals started out. But now, I mean, it's fairly standard features are that, you know, you can schedule meetings, create agendas, create the board books all online, manage a roster of directors, committees, assign directors to committees, manage term limits, online voting, e-signatures for unanimous written consent. So those are all fairly standard for most board portals now. And what we've tried to do is just take that a little bit step further so that for that stakeholder governance that we were talking about, the companies can really use our platform to track all the issues that they're having to deal with. So, and we call those topics in our platform and they can tie the, tag those topics to tasks for task management, they can tie them to documents, they can tie them to agendas, they can tie them to committees, they can tie them to individual directors. And so that allows filtering so that a calendar that can go out into the future and be tied to the strategic plan for each of those topics, you can create topic books and board members then can know exactly where they are in their deliberations on these topics and what needs to be done about them. Is there a, some sort of video app that comes with that where you can uh, discuss this agenda with the board members online? And uh, is it video inclusive at all or it's just the collaborating? No, absolutely. It's incorporated with video. And that's been very important, certainly during the pandemic. We saw a lot of increased usage. And for the reality is that for many boards, they are very geographically disparate. You know, they have people all over. So when people could not travel, it had to be via um, video. And so we have, for companies that want it, we have an internal video within Govenda. But for most of our customers, we're do, we do integrations with what they use, whether that's WebEx or Zoom or whatever. That was my question. I was curious, like, what's the... So technically, if there were no Govenda people would use combination of Zoom and Box and Google Drive and some other, and maybe sending the agendas to one another via email. Is it fair? That's exactly what has been happening. And there are quite a few problems with that. First of all, if you've ever sat on a board or prepared for a board meeting, you know that documents change right up to the last minute. And so I know I, I sit on a few boards and I would get emails that said, remove page 32 and replace it with the attached, you know, and you might get 10 of those in the day before the board meeting. 
And it really got to be problematic trying to manage all of that. The other thing is there are security issues with email. And if you know, the famous story is Colin Powell's personal email got hacked when he was on the board of Salesforce and the email contained their list of potential acquisitions over the next several years, which was really confidential information, obviously. And there's been lots of other publicized, you know, security breaches with the use of email. So most directors and most corporations will not use that for confidential information anymore. There's just too much liability associated with it. And for directors, if they're using their personal emails for their board service and there's some shareholder litigation, that means all of their personal information is open to discovery. If they're using a corporate email, then that means all of their corporate information is open to discovery. And if their employer is not who they're on the board for, you know, that, that could certainly cause some serious issues. Gotcha. And who are the primary customers for this? Are there enterprise, I'm assuming, or not necessarily? Not necessarily. So we have some offerings that um, we try to have separate functionality for different size companies. So we certainly have a group of nonprofits, smaller nonprofits that we have a limited edition that they can use. But then we also have enterprise customers. You know, the, our sweet spot is tends to be a little bit probably around 400 employees, $100 million in revenue. That's certainly our sweet spot there and up. But we have an, there are exceptions to that. So we're extremely popular with tech companies. Mm-hmm. And they may be pre-revenue, but if they've done a series A or B or further round, even if they're pre-revenue, they need a board of directors and they need a board portal. So we have a lot of customers like that also. SPACs are another new thing. We have quite a few SPACs that are using our board portal. And the product is priced per user or it's just a flat fee based on? It's a flat fee. And so that's, we want to encourage customers to use it and not that have be a bottleneck or a hindrance to their use of it. So we have an unlimited user model. So unlimited usage, unlimited users, unlimited committees so that the product grows with the company as it grows. And and oftentimes there are ad hoc types of things that come up in corporations where we have a committee that we just needed for this certain period of time, go ahead and create an instance for that. And when it's done, you can shut it down. And we encourage that. If somebody's listening to this podcast and they got interested, but they're not sure about how expensive this might be, would you give a ballpark for the solution? Well, it's really hard to give a ballpark. I mean, I can tell you that for the majority of our customers, you know, at the low end, it would be $15,000, but they go, it goes up into six figures. Now, and, and the six figure ones would be those really highly complicated enterprise customers that might have 200 committees and uh, lots of workflow that needs built in, that sort of thing. But we have an offering for just about anybody that would need it, except extremely small companies. You know, like small family-owned companies are probably not going to need a board portal, and they're certainly not going to spend the money on it. That makes sense. Yeah, let's go back to the origin story of the uh, company. Who was the first client? I think you mentioned that somebody asked you to build the app, but was that person the first one who actually started paying for this solution? No, they were not, interestingly. They were not. They came along later on. But we actually, we we were based in Pittsburgh, and uh, though we have employees all over the country now, and all over North America, actually. But at the time, we were based, all of our customers were based in Pittsburgh. 
and or all of our employees, I should say. And so I really reached out to my network, like a lot of tech companies do when they're starting out. So we started out with quite a few foundations and nonprofits and really used them to test our platform. And then it was probably, it was pretty quickly, like within six months of launching, we started an inbound marketing program and um, started to get customers from all over the country. So our foundations and nonprofits were like beta testing for you, right? That's exactly right. And were they willing to pay for it later on? Yes, they were. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I spoke with one founder and he said that uh, when they started, they would have Companies who would test the product give them all bunch of positive feedback, but never bought it. So it's interesting that you were able to have nonprofits that notoriously very cost oriented are actually buying it. So it basically speaks for value. Well, and and the cost of our product was much less back then. Also, you know, I mean, we certainly sold it at a much lower price point when we were trying to make an entrance into the marketplace. But no, we never gave it away for free. That's awesome. Did you raise uh, capital? We did. We did several, you know, a seed round and actually, you know, a friends and family and then a couple angel rounds. And that took us through the first probably three years. And Jeanette and I, my business partner and I, funded a lot of it in the early days. And then we reached out for that seed funding. And then we did a Series A in 2017 and a Series A1 at the end of 2020. It's um, well documented that minority and women-led startups have harder times to raise capital. You've started four companies, and you actually started them uh, way before this became a widespread and well-known issue. Tell me a little bit about your experience of raising money. Well, it was very interesting. My first three companies were self-funded. And they were service companies, technology service companies. And we were able to do that. With a product company, that's a much more expensive proposition. And while we funded it in the beginning, it wasn't long before I realized that I had to go out and raise money. And I was shocked that I didn't get a, a very warm reception. And I actually went to a friend of mine. I was having lunch and com- kind of complaining about it. And she says, well, you know what, Miriam, we know people with money. Let's just go to the people that we know. And, so, and, and actually, that's what we did. And she was wonderful. She started a, a special group called Dextac Capital, and they were the first people that invested in the company and really sort of got, got us started. But it's still true. I mean, uh, we've been very fortunate that I've raised you know, more than enough money for us to scale now. But you know, 2% of PE money is, goes to women. I mean, no matter how you look at that, that, there's something seriously wrong there. It may be unconscious bias. I'm not sure. I mean, there's stories I could probably tell, but I won't when I was raising money with some of the people said to me. But the, I think that the economy... Let's call them out. I'm curious. People want to hear now. What's that? No, I can't. I really can't. <laughs> no name basis. Come on, Marianne. All right, no, all right. <laughs> I think my favorite one was an investor that told me that I was no spring chicken. And I was like, whoa, that's interesting. <laughs> so I told him he was correct and that he should value my wisdom. So, okay. Yeah. But we need to work on that. I mean, the research shows that actually women run companies tend to be more successful. And there's no reason that we shouldn't be getting more funding. And I think it's encouraging 
you know, my friend that started Dextat Capital, which was just a corporation that housed my friends so that they could invest in my company. She sold her company and she started an angel fund that only invested in women-owned uh, companies. And, you know, there's portfolio out in California and Golden Seeds in New York. And Golden Seeds was an investor in our Series A and in our Series A one. So we've come some ways, but there's still an awful long way to go. Yeah, but uh, Govend is successful navigate through that. And how big are you are today? How big are we in terms of employees? Or... Yes. Yeah, we have about 40 employees now. And actually, we're still growing. I mean, we're, got, we're growing at a pretty good clip. This is since we took the investment at the end of 2020, that most of that money was earmarked for sales and marketing to scale the organization. And that's what we've been doing. My wild guess is during COVID, this solution became particularly in a high demand. Is it fair? Yes. Mm -hmm. And has anything changed since then? Because we'll look at the public market software companies just went down significantly in valuation. Zoom collapsed. In terms of valuation, the product is still great. But have you experienced anything like that? Do you see any type of slowdown or it is still that hawker stick of growth? Yeah, we've been very fortunate that we grew all through the pandemic. And we have not seen any slowdown. I think this is probably, we're fortunate, a category where it would be one of the last places that a company would cut. Because if they're entering into a downturn or the economy is turning south, that staying in touch with their board is more important than ever. And one of the things that we did notice is that boards met more often during the pandemic. Instead of four meetings a year, they were meeting monthly and sometimes more often than that. So that the service that we provide is even more valuable to them than ever. That's fascinating. So, I mean, that basically tells me that the retention is pretty high. Yeah, we've been very fortunate with from day one, actually, every year, both gross and net retention, you know, over 95% and over 100% on the net. So we're awesome. we're doing pretty well on that. That's great. Yeah. Awesome. And what's, if we can talk a little bit about the go-to-market strategy of Govenda, how do you approach it? So, you know, we have a fairly robust marketing department. This really is a marketing play. It's, you know, we need to, it's not that we don't have a great product. We need to get in front of as many people as we possibly can. And we need to do it efficiently, you know, which is true for all SaaS companies. And so that in the beginning, it was totally inbound. That's where we grew the company for the first probably six or seven years. And then we've expanded since then to do, we're doing more outbound and just rolling out an ABM strategy. And that's the majority of what we're doing right now. We're just starting to go back out into the world. We're doing some trade shows this year, which we've not done before. So uh, I'll let you know how those go. <laughs> how do you segment market? Because the companies of 400 employees there are so many of them. I guess there is slicing and dicing based on some sort of criteria. How do you pick your targets? Yeah, and you know, that's the wonderful thing about this product. If you have a company of a certain size, you need it. And not only do you need it, but if you have a board of directors, and it would be highly unusual to have a company of that size where you don't have a board of directors, even private companies or family-owned, large family-owned companies, when you get to that size, have a board, even though it may be advisory rather than fiduciary, and they need a board of directors. So we do segment our marketing rather than certainly by size, but then within size by verticals. And there are some verticals that are really, really good for us. You know, tech is very good for us. Us. Finance is very good for us. Healthcare is very good for us. Anything that's highly regulated, 
But having said that, I mean, we've got a lot of manufacturing customers, some retail. So it, it really, you know, goes across the spectrum for who we can market to. I'm curious how your company is structured in terms of departments and who leads those departments. Could you all speak on that? Sure. Well, I'm the CEO. And so, you know, I guess the buck stops here. But we have a, an R&D department that does all the product development, a product group, you know, that uh, does yeah. typically what product groups do, customer success, and they do all of the onboarding and training, as well as the you know ongoing care and maintenance of the customers, sales, you know, and that's the, you know, one of the departments that's growing really, really quickly now, marketing. And, um, you know, that's, they do both traditional and digital marketing in that department, but with a big focus on digital, you know, we, we don't do any paper marketing, but we are doing some, like I said, some trade shows and things that we haven't done before. And then ops and finance, and that's the whole company. One of the big decisions that uh, startups make and uh, growing companies make in this industry and in SaaS is when to hire a dedicated marketing person, salesperson product and customer success. How was it for you? And what would you suggest to other companies like yours? Yeah. And I would say that with this, we made some mistakes along the way there. When I raised some money early on and I was um, getting some pressure from some investors actually to hire salespeople and I hired them too early. You know, we needed one salesperson. We didn't need five because we didn't have a marketing engine that could feed them all. So I would be very careful about that. Make sure that you've got the marketing in place before you start to flesh out that sales department. As far as the marketing is concerned, for me, that's really the lifeblood of this company. If you're not marketing correctly, and it's hard, it's very hard, and it changes all the time, you need to be very data-driven, and you need a marketer who understands data. And that's one place where I would probably invest money early on. How did you find your marketer? We used an executive recruiting firm. Got it. And he's amazing. He's excellent. Got it. And you mentioned there are, you had investors in the past and you have them now. How involved are they in um, day-to-day operations? They're not involved in the day-to-day at all. You know, two of them sit on the board. They have two seats on our board. And that was true with past investments also. But it's the private equity firm, Grocery Partners, Mm -hmm. who've been a great partner to us. They have two people that sit on our board. And they are always available to us for advice. Or if we need, if we have special projects, I can reach out to them. And if they have the bandwidth, they do those for us. So they're as involved as we want them to be. But on the actual day-to-day, they're not. I mean, they, they have their own business to run, too. That's a perfect type of investors, I guess. Oh, it absolutely is. I know I'm very lucky. And when you think about your company, you, spend so, you put so much work into it. Like, What's your long-term vision for Govenda? So the same that has been from day one. I really think that uh, there is room for disruption in this industry, and we want to be that disruptor. You know, it's easy to build something where you're just pushing out board books and, you know, maybe voting on a few things, but to really contribute to the efficiency and success of a board, that would be disruptive. And that's what we're working really hard on. We think that we've made really good strides there, and I want us to be known for that. Do you think the company and our total addressable market are big enough to eventually go public, or it's something that are you going to keep on a certain size and just continue uh, growing on your own? 
as a private company? Well, for right now, there's no plans to go public on the horizon, but, you know, who knows what the future will bring. You know, growth is certainly the goal. And, you know, I have investors that I answer to, to also, and that's their goal as well. So what that looks like five years from now or three years or 10 years from now, I'm not really sure, but I can guarantee you this. We're going to continue to build this product. We're going to continue to differentiate and continue to be a force in the marketplace. That's great to hear. Marianne, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. This is great.